Ruff, and this is Conversational Commerce, the podcast where we break down the biggest industry news and trends by talking shop with the Retail Dive team, thought leaders, and executives. On the show, we'll talk through everything from struggles of brick-and-mortar retailers to the storylines to watch during the holiday shopping season. This time on the show, we're talking about Toys R Us. Last week, the big box toy seller filed for bankruptcy in what is the third largest Chapter 11 filing in retail history, coming only after Kmart and Federated Department Stores. Back with me to break this all down is Retail Dive reporter Ben Unglesby, who has been following distressed retailers and Toys R Us specifically. Hey, Ben. Welcome back to the show. Hey, good to be back. Thanks. And uh, we're back talking about bankruptcies. Indeed, we are back talking about bankruptcies. It's funny, the very first episode that we launched of Conversational Commerce, the day that it goes out is the day that Toys R Us decides, hey, why not file for bankruptcy today? Yeah, I just wish we'd uh, we'd predicted it (laughs) on that podcast. Everyone would have thought we were geniuses. Yeah, if only. So today, we're going to talk through Toys R Us because it's not only the most significant bankruptcy of this year, but over the last couple of years in retail. So today, we're going to dig into Toys R Us's backstory of financial struggles over the last decade or so, um, its turnaround, what its odds are in bankruptcy and whether it can come out on top, and what the implications are for the toy market, some of its competitors, and of course, leading into the holiday season. To start off, Ben, why don't you walk us through where Toys R Us has been in the market and what are some of the long-term struggles that they've been dealing with leading up to the bankruptcy? Right. So uh, Toys R Us, it's been around since, uh, I mean, almost 70 years, since 1948. Uh, we've seen a few different iterations of it. I think everyone knows it best as sort of the big box, uh, pure player, uh, category killer um, in the of the 80s and 90s when it was really sort of at the top of its game um, and, and pretty dominant in its category. Uh, that, that started to change in the late 90s when uh, Walmart and Target got more into toys. It changed more when Amazon got into toys and, and Toys R Us and even Amazon partnered uh, in the 2000s and that kind of went a little sour. But it was it was acquired in 2005 by a private equity group or a group of private equity companies, uh, KKR, Bain Capital, and Vornado. Uh, Bain, this is, this is not the first time we've mentioned Bain uh, in, in retail bankruptcies this year. Jimboree was also a, a Bain buyout, and it filed, of course, in, in this summer. And quick interesting side note about Bain Capital, um, not the first bankruptcy of theirs in the toy industry. They own KB Toys, which filed twice um, and eventually had going out of business sales in 2008 and is no more. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and we've seen Bain has made a lot of retail acquisitions over the years. Uh, but this this one left Toys R Us with about $5 billion of debt um, that or, or it has a today it has a legacy of about $5 billion of debt still from that buyout. That was more than a decade ago. Um, and uh, the company's CEO, David Brandon, said uh, in, in a bankruptcy filing that Toys R Us has been shoveling like something like four hundred million dollars cash per year to to pay to service its debt payments. So it's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. So in, in in a market that's gotten more competitive, that's changed drastically with with the rise of e-commerce. Um, the company has less money to do new things and and invest in its stores and and people and, and technology. Uh, so it's it's lost market share and has a huge debt burden to deal with at, at the same time. And then that's something we've seen with a lot of retailers that have gone bankrupt this year. 
Another interesting piece of trivia that I learned this week, actually, is that this is also not the first bankruptcy for Toys R Us as a company. So back in 1974, a company called Interstate Department Stores owned four Toys R Us stores, filed for bankruptcy, and a couple of years later emerged as Toys R Us that we know today. Interesting, yeah. So um, Toys R Us has been struggling for a long time, as you said, coming into the new you know, millennium and dealing with mass merchants. They've been struggling. So why are we seeing this bankruptcy filing coming now and especially just before the holiday season? Right. Well, that's that's the big question because I don't think a lot of people saw it coming right now. If you'd ask if Toys R Us is going to go bankrupt in 2019 when it has like when it had something like three billion dollars of debt due that year, that that would have been a different question. But a, a lot of people I talked to and just in the weeks before they filed, you know, debt analysts who their entire job is to sort of measure the risk of bankruptcy thought that Toys R Us had the, the money to get through the holiday season and into next year's debt maturity, which was something like $400 million. So no one saw this coming. I don't think Toys R Us saw this coming either. What we saw was basically amounted, to, and this this comes from the CEO, but but basically basically amounts to sort of a run on a bank. Earlier in September, story broke. A bunch of different outlets had it uh, about Toys R Us hiring Kirkland Analysis as, uh, as an advisor on its debt load for for possible uh, ne- negotiation for debt restructuring. Um, CNBC uh, reported reported that there was a possible bankruptcy filing that was being discussed as, as part of those negotiations. And according, according to Brandon, again, um, when that story broke uh, on the first week of December, their suppliers... September, right? Or, yeah, sorry, September. <laughs> their suppliers freaked out. And 40% of them uh, started demanding really strict terms, cash on delivery uh, or even stricter terms. And Toys R Us is used to being able to buy on credit in, you know, 30 days, 60 day cycles. Um, but all of a sudden they needed uh, an extra billion dollars of liquidity to buy their inventory for the holiday season. And for a toy seller, that's that was a disaster. Uh, there was a sudden financial obligation that they did not plan for a company that already is burdened with debt and didn't have any wriggle room. So was a bankruptcy filing better for suppliers coming now as opposed to after the holiday season? Yeah, I think it's probably better. I think it's better for suppliers um, because as a supplier can be left holding an empty bag. There, there's a, a certain amount of time leading up to bankruptcy where if you ship products but don't get paid, you're not necessarily going to get paid back for those once a company goes into bankruptcy. But once a company has filed Chapter 11, uh, payments to suppliers are, are given priority. Um, because you know, if you have a company that's in bankruptcy but staying in business, um, all their immediate obligations like to their customers and their suppliers take, are, are high on the priority list. But, but, suppliers, but payments to suppliers before bankruptcy, for a certain period before bankruptcy, not so much, yeah, and and they can they can get screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, so so from a su- supplier standpoint, um, if they thought Toys R Us was going to file in the next few months, they wanted to make sure that they were covered. 
Um, right. So they had an interest in really pushing for it now. Um, let's take a minute and talk about some of the details of that filing. And a lot of other bankruptcies we've seen over the year, we've seen some pretty detailed plans of store closures, um, things like that. What, what are you seeing? What are some of the standout details? And do they differ greatly from some of the other high-profile bankruptcies of the year? Yeah. We, uh, as you said, we've seen Jimboree, Payless, Route 21, some others go into bankruptcy with really detailed plans and uh, that would, that were agreed to by by their lenders. We knew how many stores that they were going to close. We knew how much debt they were going to shed before they even filed for bankruptcy. Basically, uh, with Choice or Us, that didn't really happen. Um, certainly not at that level of detail. Why do you think that is? I think it's because it was a surprise. I, I think because even to- Toys R Us executives didn't necessarily see this coming. Um, but they did get uh, they did get an agreement from some of their lenders for three billion dollars. In, uh, in bankruptcy as a bankruptcy loan to, to stay open and stay in business for, for the holiday season, which is absolutely crucial if they are going to continue doing business because they have to stop. I mean, Chris, the, the Christmas selling season is incredibly important to their business and they have to have product to sell. Um, and it also shows faith in, in the company and their brand by, by some of their lenders. So they sort of have an advocate in the bankruptcy process. So aside from the details of shedding debt, closing on profitable stores, which they have to do to come out as a bigger and better business at the end of this. I think the other important point that we've talked about with, with Jimboree and other retailers before is that they need to refine the spark. Mm-hmm. And that reason that consumers came into their store in the first place and why they're better than any other toy seller out there. In my point of view, I think they have a unique uh, standpoint because they only sell toys. They can really hone in on that. They have all these stores across the country that can become destination points, really experiential, and be points where people can play with the toys and have that interactive experience as opposed to just seeing all the products on shelves. But what else do you think they need to get people to come back into the stores? Toys R Us has been sort of tinkering around the edges with this. They've, they've tried some things. They've tried sort of in, in-store in activities and so, some other efforts, and, and none of them have really took or, or they haven't really stopped the, the market share loss that they've had to, to Amazon and, and Target and Amazon. Uh, Walmart. And the problem is those guys can all come into the toy business for the holiday season um, and they can compete on price because they're not completely dependent on toys for their for their revenue. And Toys R Us is, I mean, that's that's all they sell. And well, Babies R Us, but um, I mean, they are they are a specialty retailer and, and they're facing the same problems that every other specialty re- retailer is facing right now. So uh, they either have to be able to beat Walmart and Target and Amazon on price, which is really, really tough to do. <laughs> and I, I don't know that anyone would want to even try to do that. Or they have, uh, you know, another path for them would be to go, you know, to invest in your customer service, invest in your product selection, differentiate yourself from other places. And like you said, yeah, make, make it make it an experience because that is, I mean, there's not, I mean, I remember going to Toys R Us as a kid. Uh, and it was just mind blowing. <laughs> right. I mean, I remember begging my parents to take me. And now there's that nostalgia factor for for people right. that are a little bit older. Kids these days don't necessarily have that. Right. Right. Yeah. And, I, and it's. I mean, if if you can get it, get a parent and their kids into a toy store, it's hard to get them out of the store without toys. Right. <laughs> um, and that's that's the point of Toys R Us. So we're talking about an $87 billion global market when we talk about toys. What would happen if Toys R Us just fell out of that completely? 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard to imagine, but uh, it could happen. Uh, and it, I don't think the toy makers want to see that at all. They, I mean, they need Toys R Us. Um, I mean, again, it's the one national chain that all it does is toys and it does it all year round. And it makes it diff- and that's what makes it difficult for Toys R Us to compete with people who just do it uh, temporarily. But for, for if you're a manufacturer, you love Toys R Us and you don't want to see it go away. Uh, if it did, I mean, that would be such a big void. Maybe somebody could come along uh, to, uh, to fill it. Um, either out of the ashes of, of Toys R Us um, in, in, in a liquidation bankruptcy or just some new pure player that, that rose out of e-commerce or something. But um, it would be, I think it would be disastrous for, for the makers um, because they don't, they, Toys R Us is probably their best, I mean, their, their most important channel in some ways. So the last really big point to touch on is the holiday season is coming up just around the corner. CEO David Brandon, of course, as you mentioned, said that this is coming at the worst possible time. They're building up their inventory. Toys R Us is completely seasonal. They get 40% of their revenue during the last couple months and weeks before Christmas. Um, so where does this leave toys for the holidays? It'll depend on how many stores that they close in bankruptcy and depend on if they liquidate them before or after the holidays. It, I mean, they, they have the loan to stay open. They're, they're hiring seasonal staff. It'll have to, we'll have to see if customers are, you know, if they stay away from Toys R Us because of that sort of bankruptcy taint. I don't know how much is how much is going to change this season without seeing like a, a more detailed bankruptcy plan. I, I think the next couple of Christmas seasons will tell us a lot too, because once a, once they've had a chance to go through this process, get rid of debt, free up some money to really invest in their business, and sort of pick a direction, we can see how uh, how well they're doing uh, as a, as a post bankrupt, you know, as a post Chapter Eleven company. The next two or three years could maybe be even more crucial seasons for Toys R Us in its future. I guess we're in wait and see point at, at this stage of the game and see if they do have a couple more Christmas seasons left in them. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, we'll see. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Conversational Commerce. For all the latest updates on industry news, analysis, and trends, subscribe to our free newsletter at retaildive.com. And while it may not seem like it, we'll talk through plenty more topics than just bankruptcies on the show. Up next, you'll hear my interview with Matthew Shea, the head of the National Retail Federation. And after that, we'll give you an early look at the holidays with our very own Laura Heller. Whether you like this podcast or hated it, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or send us feedback by email or on Twitter at Retail Dive. Until next time, I'm Corinne Ruff, and this was Conversational Commerce.